0: There is an Indian fable about a king who loves chess. In this fable, the king challenges his whole kingdom that if anyone can beat him in chess, he'll give them whatever they ask for. The king does this challenge because he believes no one can beat him. Well, the the fable goes that there is a sage that comes up and challenges him And the sage happens to be pretty good at chess. And the king says, okay, if you happen to beat me, what would you ask for? And the sage says, king, I don't ask for much. I just ask for some rice. I want a piece of rice, a grain of rice, on the first square of the board. But on every square after that, I want you to double it until you get to the end of the 64 squares. The king says, okay, I can do that but it seems like such a, a foolish thing for ask, to ask for, such a little thing, there's only 64 squares on this board. So they go in and they, they play their, their match, and the sage wins, and the king is like, well, I, I'm a man of my word, so I'm going to, to pay up. And so he begins to place first a grain of rice on the first square, and two grains of rice on the second square, and four on the next one, and eight on the next one, and he begins to go and then he gets to the end of the second row, the 16th square. And he owes a pound of rice for that square. He continues, but the, before he gets to the end of the third row, he's on the 22nd square. And it's not a pound, it's 50 pounds of rice that belong on that square. And he starts to realize that maybe he is in trouble Because two squares after that, it's not 50 pounds now. We're now up to 200 pounds of rice just for that square, not including what he's already added. And he realizes he is indeed in trouble, that the sage actually asked for way more than the king could afford to give him. Well, you fast forward to the end, and all total, all 64 squares combined, ends up being nine billion tons of rice. Now, I believe that a billion is so big that we can't comprehend it. So to put it in more perspective, nine billion tons of rice would be if you covered the entire country of India three feet deep of rice. That's how much rice was owed. And mathematicians love this fable because it talks about exponential growth. But I tell this fable this morning, to remind us that this is the type of God that we serve as well. That we don't serve a God who gives kinda. We serve a God who gives generously. We serve a God who can multiply these gifts at an extraordinary rate. And maybe you've sat through these weeks of our our, our generosity series. And you thought, yeah, but but my meager gift, like what what is it really going to do? And the answer is, it's not going to do much. But if you will trust it in the hands of God, what God is able to do with a single grain of rice would astound you. And we've been talking about this idea of generosity, and there's a story in Scripture, the story with Jesus. It illustrates this principle that that God can multiply what we have. This is the truth that we're gonna spend some time on today. God can multiply what we have, and there's this story in Scripture that illustrates this. You see, Jesus is with his disciples, and they're teaching, and he's healing. He actually sends the disciples out, and they get to do some cool things, and they come back, and Jesus is teaching and teaching and healing in long days, and he decides, okay, we're gonna jump in this boat, and we're gonna go across the lake and we're gonna get some kind of time away, right? Maybe it was Jesus' time to kind of like huddle back together with his disciples or maybe do some more teaching just with them or, or, or heaven forbid, a day off. But the crowds had other things in mind. You see, they didn't hop in the boats, but they, they ran along the coast and they would go from town to town and they would be like, hey, did Jesus dock here? Is Jesus back here? And they started to, to gain steam and gain people to the point where when Jesus and his disciples docked on the other side of the lake, the crowds were waiting for him there too. And I just imagine that, that the disciples are like, seriously? But That's not what Jesus does, Jesus welcomes them. Jesus welcomes them and he, he invites them and he starts teaching them. Again, after days of doing it already, he starts to teach them and heal them and it goes long into the day, and the crowds start to gather. See, the scripture says that the crowd was 5,000 men. In a room of this size, we're talking about a tenth of what had gathered that day, and that's only including the men, and they only counted the men because it helped them understand how many households were represented. So we don't know exactly how many, I mean, some scholars would say it could be upwards of 25,000 people because of how, many, how big the average family size but we can even just settle in the 5,000. It's pretty absurd of a number anyway. And so Jesus is teaching and teaching and healing and, and he's talking and it gets late into the afternoon and the people have just been there all day. And the disciples, I just imagine they wanna go home. Right, it doesn't say this in scripture, this is just me, but I just imagine they're just like, hey, maybe it's time that they go home. Maybe it's time that we go home. But they can't go to Jesus and be like, hey, we wanna go home. They know Jesus well enough by now, it's not gonna do that. So, here's what they say. It says, late in the afternoon, the 12 disciples came to him, always good to come multiples, not just one. Don't send a scapegoat here. And said, send the crowds away to the nearby villages and farms so they can find food and lodging for the night. There is nothing to eat here in this remote place. How? nice of them, right? They're so considering, considerate of, uh, of the people and their stomachs. And I just imagine the disciples are like, they hear their own stomachs? And they're like, these people have to go. Right, because you, many of you, have hosted for the last several days people with hungry stomachs, right? And, and you're trying to feed them. But at some point, they need to go home, right? <laughs> Listen, some of you laugh a little bit too loud because you know that that's a true (laughs) statement. But Jesus Jesus has this conversation with a couple of his disciples. John includes it in in his gospel. See, turning to Philip, Jesus asked, where can we buy bread to feed all of these people? He was testing Philip for he already knew what he was going to do. I just imagine that Jesus asked this question with a little of a smirk. Right? He knows what he's about to do. But he asks Philip, instead of really uh, answering the question, or like saying that they should stay home, he, he says, well, Where could we get enough food to feed these people? And we're talking about 10 times as many people that are in this room. And Philip is like, I don't carry the one. And his response, I, I love his response, because in verse 7, he says, Even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. See, Jesus asks them, where can we get the supplies? And Philip responds with, we don't have the money. We could work for months and we still couldn't do it. He's like, I'm gonna need more fingers to figure out how many times we can, I can't count this high. Jesus, it's not gonna work. We could work for months, we wouldn't have enough money. And we need to have food now. And then this guy Andrew, one of the disciples, he he pops in. Simon Peter's brother spoke up. There's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. And then he even like undercuts his own suggestion. He says, but what good is it with this huge crowd? You see, he knows it's not a good solution. Even by saying, he's like, we have this boy and he has some food. What if we steal it? But like, it, we read loaves and we think like, oh, this like it's not like Wonder Bread loaves. It's not a lot of bread. It's like muffin size, right? So this this boy has five muffins and two likely small fish, and Andrew's like, it's not really going to do anything. Maybe I could eat it. Like that's just like that. If I was Andrew, this would be my like this is my mentality. You're like, it's not going to feed everybody, but I think I'm good. So you know like, that's just what I think about. See, Andrew has a solution. It's not a really good solution. But while Philip is trying to figure out the finances of it, Andrew's like, here's what we have. And it's all that Jesus needs to work on. It's all that Jesus needs to work with. See, it continues in in Luke's gospel. It says, Jesus took the five loaves and two fish, looked up toward heaven and blessed them. Then, breaking the loaves into pieces, He kept giving the bread and fish to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. You see, the miracle didn't happen when the boy had his lunch. It really didn't even happen when Andrew spoke and was like, hey, there's something over here, maybe we could use this. No, when the miracle happened is when they gave what they had to Jesus. Jesus. You see, God can absolutely multiply what we have, but there's a little caveat. God can multiply what we have when we give it to him. Oftentimes, I believe that we are praying for a miracle to happen in our lives. And we we're praying for, us, oftentimes, even in our finances, God, will you show up? God, I need this to happen. God I, God, I need you to be here. I need you to show up. And while we pray for God to happen in this life and happen in this part of our life, we are holding tightly to what we already have. Like, God, this, I worked hard for this part. You can work over there. You can work out of nothing. You created the universe out of nothing. You can work from nothing. I'm good over here. And we think that if we hold tightly to what we have, we can keep that, and God can show up over there. And yet the little boy shows us that if he had held on to his lunch, everybody goes hungry. It wasn't until he gave up what he had, and the disciples gave up what they had, and they gave it to Jesus, Jesus blessed it, and he hands it out, because he just kept handing it out. Right, it didn't, he didn't pray and then miraculously, like there's just a ton of food. No, as they handed it out, they just kept handing it out. He kept handing it to the disciples. He kept handing it to the disciples. They kept it like, I need more over here. He's throwing it over there, and he's throwing it over here, right? And, and everybody ate enough food. See, God's economy doesn't work the way we think it does. Because the miracle doesn't happen in this story and in our lives when we have it in our hands. That the grain of rice doesn't multiply until we give it to God. My favorite part of this story is at the end, everybody eats. And then Jesus has them collect what is left. And the story says that there were 12 baskets of leftovers. Listen, we just got done with Thanksgiving. Low key, I think leftovers are the best part of Thanksgiving. Right? They're they're my favorite part. He has 12 baskets of leftovers. Maybe there's a correlation between the fact that there's 12 disciples and 12 baskets left over. But I think there's a principle in here that when we give to what God asks of us, we don't go hungry. And oftentimes, I find that actually we receive more than we personally gave out. We're not gonna go hungry, though. That what started as a sack lunch fed 5,000 plus people and ended with more leftovers than one person could carry. See, in God's economy, he can multiply what we have when we give it to him. And if you're not giving to God because you don't think that your gift can make a difference, you're right. Your gift can't make a difference as long as it stays in your hands. My wife and I moved to California uh, to be a youth pastor at a church plant uh, before we lived here. Uh, And uh, I got paid around $30,000 a year and my my wife stayed at home. Uh, The Bay Area is known uh, for not being the cheapest place to live. And I remember uh, there were times where we would sit down and run the numbers and do our Dave Ramsey financial peace sheets. And the money coming in did not match the money coming, going out. And there were months where it was like, hey, if we just took what we tithe, we could make these numbers work a little bit. And you're thinking like, Tyler, you're a pastor, like of course you understand giving and all that stuff. But like food matters, I remember when my, my oldest was born and like diapers are expensive. Like I remember that th- th- there was this exercise but from a young age, from a young age, my wife and I both knew that listen, we're going to give to God and God's going to take care of us because when we give what he asked of us, nobody goes hungry. And I can't tell you mathematically how almost every single month we lived in California, we put money into savings. I can't tell you that. I also can't tell you why one Sunday, I, I show up to church, we're doing a fundraiser uh, for our kids' ministry and all this stuff, and I'm, I'm t- taking requests and doing these things, and this lady shows up and she goes, hey, Tyler, if you can give me four weeks, I wanna sign my van over to you. And I said, excuse me? <laughs> like out of the blue, she didn't know that we were shopping for a van. She didn't know that we had a couple cars that couldn't hold our growing family as we were welcoming our second kid in. She didn't know that, but she walks up and she says, hey, we need to clean it up a little bit, but we have this van that we don't use, uh, and so we just like, we would like to offer it to you. See, my son is seven, so it would have been uh, just almost eight years ago. It's still the van that my wife drives every single day. You see, It's not a story of me. It's not even a story of my faithfulness. It's a story that God does care about us and you cannot, absolutely cannot outgive the God of the universe. He says, your offering can't make a difference if you keep it in your hands. But God can make a difference when you show faithfulness even in your finances. See, he can do extraordinary things even with a grain of rice. There's another story It talks about our faithfulness and finances, and it happens the week of Passover. You see, Jesus is in Jerusalem for Passover. At the end of this week, he's actually going to end up on a cross, but at the beginning of this week, he's hanging out in the temple. Now, Jerusalem is about 50,000 people at the time, but during Passover week, it swells to about 200,000 people, and the center of everything is the temple. And so the temple is busy all the time. It's like peak 2000s Black Friday busy, okay? Not 2023, right? But like peak 2000s, you remember it. It's busy. And one of the regular things that people would do as they walked into the temple, they would walk by these giant offering things and they would throw their offerings in and the money there is, is metal and it's heavy, right? So the more you have it, the louder the noise makes. And so they were known for the, they would throw it in because then you can make it sound even louder if you throw it in harder. And so uh, I just imagine like, man, junior high boys would just have a field day with trying to make it as loud as possible, right? So they walk by, but they they would hear it and they, they would try to get the noise over the crowd. But that's not what catches Jesus's eye. In Mark 12, it says, Jesus sat down near the collection box in the temple and watched as the crowds dropped in their money. Many rich people put in large amounts. Then a poor widow dropped in two small coins. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has given more than all the others who are making contributions, for they gave a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything she had to live on. When the story says that she gave two small coins, it really in English doesn't hold up to what it would have been. You see, the widows relied on the benevolence of the Jewish people to even survive. They couldn't work, they couldn't do things, that they were given, and so what they were given on a regular basis was what they termed a widow's mite. It was actually the shavings of metal. It wasn't even enough to really count as a coin You couldn't buy much with it, just the bare necessities. And this lady walked up with her two small shavings of metal and trapped it in the offering box. And if the temple had been completely empty, you probably wouldn't have even heard the sound it made at the bottom. But in the hustle and bustle of the crowded thing, you certainly, it should have been forgotten. And yet Jesus said that she gave more Than anyone else who gave that day. How can that be? Because really, she gave nothing. She didn't move the needle on what the the temple needed to even operate. But Mark Moore, a pastor in Arizona, says says this Jesus doesn't measure our gifts with a scale, He measures them with a thermometer. Jesus doesn't measure our gifts with a scale. He measures them with a thermometer. And the gift that that lady gave was red hot because it was all from her heart. The truth is that God can multiply what we have when we give it to him from our heart. God can multiply what we have when we give it to him from our heart. And reading this woman's story is a good reminder that God does not need our money. The psalmist once said that God owns a cattle on a thousand hills, which is a real artistic way of saying God is loaded. He does not need our money. His bank account is doing just fine. What he does need, what he does need is our faithfulness. God doesn't need our faithfulness, but, or doesn't need our finances, but he does need our faithfulness. This world we live in says, get more money. Get more money so that you can spend more money, so that you can have more things, and you can get more things, and you can have more things, and you can have more fun, and all of it is centered around, you have to get this money. But spend it, save it if you want, but keep it. Jesus, however, says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Instead, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Treasures on earth, he will say, are going to rot and rust and decay, but nobody can take away from you the treasures you store up in heaven. It's, It's another way of saying, you can't take your stuff with you. You can, however, send it ahead. C.S. Lewis, one of the great writers of the 20th century, wrote a book called Mere Christianity. And in it, he said this. If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for this present world were just those who thought the most of the next. That those who did the most in this present world, the, the, the people who impacted the world around them the most, were the ones that thought about eternity the most often. Why is that? Because if you think about this present world, you're going to think about how can I just accumulate and keep and protect. And when eternity is in your, mind, in your mind at all times, you are constantly thinking of, God, what can you do with what I have? And it doesn't just change your present, it changes eternity for you and the people that you encounter. Because God can multiply what we have. So I wonder, what can God do with your grain of rice? What could God do with your five loaves and two fish? What can God do with your two small coins? What can God do with what you have? One of my favorite things of working here for the last seven years is watching the generosity of you and then watching what God does and how he multiplies it. Like for instance, this last summer, uh, we took eight high school students to the Philippines. Each of these eight students had to raise over $2,500 to get to go on this trip. And many of you gave as a part of this trip. And most of our, our, our gifts and the people that donated to that were $25, $50, $60. $50 doesn't get anybody to the Philippines. But when, you, when God multiplies what everybody gives these eight students had a life changing experience. But I also know that God multiplied our time and our, our resources, even in the country, to where we get to feed hundreds. We got to, to train hundreds of pastors while we were there. We got to invest in the lives that now, eternity, it looks different for some people in the Philippines because you gave $25. Or this last Mother's Day, we took up an offering. Uh, focused on our student and kids' camps. We raised over $140,000 to lower the cost of camp so that we could just say yes to more kids. And we ended up taking more students and kids to camp than we ever have in the history of URL. And not one of those kids was turned away because they couldn't afford it because of your generosity. You see, when, yeah, it's awesome. When you take what you have, God's gonna multiply to create these life-altering, eternity-altering experiences. But it's not just even within our walls. In 2020, we, we, every year we do this uh, uh, Joy to the World offering. And in 2020, you remember 2020, right? In the middle of a pandemic, we decided what if we could raise, use our Joy to the World offering and give 100% of it to, low, to pay off medical debt here in Washington, and when God was done multiplying what we gave, we raised $305,000, which translated into $31 million of qualifying medical debt in Washington, in Idaho, and Oregon, and Montana. Or in 2021, we decided, what if we could help be generous in the world? And so we, we tried to put a, a small dent into the water crisis that happens all over the world, and so we wanted to raise money, uh, take this offering, to give to the, um, to put wells in Uganda, and also do re, uh, water resources in, uh, in the Philippines. And I remember, my kids were starting to get old enough where we could have conversations. I said, what can we give, what, what do we want to give? And what my family gave, and we were happy to give, didn't pay for one well. But after it was all said and done and God multiplied what we had, we raised over $437,000. That equates to 38 wells and water purification systems and filter systems and a laundromat in the Philippines. Steve and I, last year, we got to see what that money looked like and how it's impacting the community in Baguio. But it's not just affecting Baguio. We actually get to see how, uh, when I was there in June, I got to watch how, because they now have this water filtration system, it's opening conversations about the gospel for Pastor John and his church. You see, when we give to things like that, when we give generously, we're not just giving to buildings or wells or, or these experiences. We're giving so that people can not just be transformed physically, but can be transformed spiritually, you see, when we when we give generously, we give and we see God multiply it, not just in this present world, but for eternity, in the lives that are changed, and the people that are saved because of how good Jesus is. So, my question for you is: what do you do with your grain of rice? What do you do with your stack lunch? What do you do with your two small coins with what you have? What do you do with it? Because in the palm of your hands, it can do very little. But in the palm of God's hands, it can change eternities. For the glory of God and for our good, when we, God can multiply what we have when we give it to him from our heart. Let me pray. Dear Father, I thank you so much for this day. I thank you for the opportunity to be here. I thank you for the stories that we get to experience all over again. Stories of just how generous you are. Lord, that you are regularly looking for opportunities to bless your children. And Lord, you've chosen most times to bless your children through us. Lord, would you work in us so that we wouldn't just gather what we have, but we would joyfully, generously give to you through what we have. Would you change us in the process? It's in your son's name that we pray, amen. And now as we move into a time where we're gonna sing and respond, Uh, If you're dedicating a child, uh, we're gonna do it after this next song. So during this song would be a great time to go uh, get your children and and bring them back in here. And child dedication is a great week when we talked about this multiplication principle because child dedication is such a great moment where you say, I'm going to commit to investing little bits of Jesus in my kid every day in hopes that God will water it and God will multiply it and that someday they will choose on their own that Jesus is their Lord and Savior. Somebody's been doing that for you and maybe if you're wanting to say, I, I'm ready to, to reap the harvest of what God has done in my life, invite you over to the cross. We can talk about what it's look like to accept Jesus. But for the rest of us, let us stand and respond to who God is and how generous he is in our life.